I'd like to talk to you today here about um, a matter that beginning a new a new series today, and it's 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 really it's one of those series where um, I don't want. I think it's easy to to cause guilt when that is not really what the Lord wants to do. It's um, you know, or that all of us um, I think struggle. Um, probably those of us who are younger, maybe <laughs> I included my, me in that bunch. Did you see that, how he did that? Wasn't that cool? Um, I think we, we struggle um, sometimes trying to prioritize the important things in our lives. I think it's a struggle. It is, it is for me. It is for Becky and me. Because uh, the urgent is always rapping on the door. How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah. How many don't have any idea what I'm talking about? And that's why I need to preach this message. How many are... Okay, well, I'll, I'll go on. Uh, but I want to talk to you about the battle between the urgent and the important. Because actually, this is an issue that affects us spiritually. It affects um, our, our, our strength. It affects our, um, the strength we have in our faith with the Lord. It affects... Um, how we, you know, it affects our prayer life. It affects the, the truth of God's word in our life and how it, and, and the, the way we take it in. It, it affects our spiritual habits, if you will. So it's, um, again, it's not, this is not meant to cause guilt in any way. I feel like the Lord wants us to start this little series because it, uh, he wants us to um, overcome um, learn some, maybe some secrets from his spirit as to how to overcome some of the urgent or this battle, how to balance it out or how to deal with it. And um, a few weeks ago, we had a, a, a great uh, midweek lesson that R- Rochelle was teaching and she taught on the, um, the story, the, actually the account of Mary and Martha, uh, Jesus when they were, when Mary and Martha, they were fixing a meal for Jesus. And I want us to go there. we got some other things we're going to look at too, but I want us to go there right now and just relook at that account of where Jesus and the disciples, where they, they, um, they were coming, uh, they were in their, their, in their travels, they stopped at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house for, for a meal. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village of course, that's Bethany, where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. And she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all of the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Over the years of my ministry, I've preached on this text before, and um, at times there's, there's always a Martha that comes up to me afterwards and, and chews me out pretty good uh, for it, you know, because Martha's always get the bad rap here. And this isn't a bad rap on Martha at all, because I like the way Jesus talked to Martha. He was loving and compassionate toward Martha. And the way the scripture is written, it says, Dear Martha, Martha. When Jesus repeats your name twice, that's, that's really cool. Because there was some tenderness there that Jesus was really trying to get Martha to see something that she was not seeing. She, was not, she didn't have the right, per, the right perspective on this crisis that had formed that day as she was trying to get dinner on the table. Let's pray. Father, we pray today that as we look at this Lord, I know your spirit wants to speak to all of our hearts 
about how we, um, how we live in this crazy, chaotic world at times. It just, or the chaos uh, just crams against all of our lives and it is sometimes difficult to hold it at bay. So Father, we, we pray that uh, you would show us from your word, show us by your spirit, the, uh, the balancing act that we have, to, we have to endeavor to follow, have to endeavor to endure, to be able to hold off the, the world's craziness or the, just the, the craziness of life circumstances in order to uh, um, be strong and to have a, a connection with you in such a way that our soul is nourished that we may present the right attitude to the world in the midst of its chaos. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And we certainly see that, don't we? That Mary, or I should say Martha, was having issues spiritually with what was happening that day. Um, I had a friend and a parishioner many years ago, this is many, many years ago, uh, who had an eight-hour-a-day job. But when he got home, he would oftentimes be bored out of his skull. That's what he told me. He worked for GM, but when he got home, he was just bored. He just didn't have anything to do. And uh, he'd call me uh, as his pastor and he'd plead with me, please go with me and do some, please go, let's go boating. Because he had a boat. And he, uh, he wanted to go, he, he liked to boat. And uh, sometimes I could go. Um, sometimes I just said, I just, there's no way I can go. I got my schedule won't allow it. But I had to make great efforts at times to interrupt my planned schedule to kind of accommodate him. Um, boredom is something that uh, I uh, have not had to deal with personally uh, since I was a kid. And maybe some of you are the same way. I remember the day when I, since, uh, I, I, was, when I foolishly mentioned to my mother that I was bored. <laughs> I remember that. I was, uh, I don't remember how old I was, but I was old enough where I was, uh, I mean, I was young enough where I, I shouldn't have done it because uh, she let out with this, well, she first of all had this uncanny smile and so oh, bored are you? Um, I have some things you can do. Of course, they're never fun things. You know, like, and uh, then with this maniacal laugh, you know, she said, ha, 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 now you're mine. You know, she, she didn't do that. But uh, I'm just kidding about that. But, but I did learn to uh, not tell my mama that I was bored. I got to tell you, I learned not to do that because she never was. Mom was never bored. And she could always find something for me, me to do. It seems to me like most people these days are simply swamped with responsibilities, obligations, problems. And I've heard it said that, you know, I've not been bored for a long time, but I am overwhelmed frequently. Yeah, I see you nodding. You all, you know what I'm talking about. As a youngster growing up in the uh, 60s and 70s, I always saw my parents busy. In fact, very, very busy at times. But you know what? Maybe I was just too young to notice it. They never seemed overwhelmed, though. Uh, life was a little slower then. It seems like in our, in our culture, it was slower. They never seemed overwhelmed. However, as a maturing teenager, I saw that life's obligations change as you get older. It's kind of like the tide of the ocean. You know, the tide, it, it, it ebbs and it flows. You know, that means it's, you know, it comes in and it goes out. You know, it, it flows and uh, it slows down. You know, and then... Um, I, I noticed that with, particularly with my dad, I eventually saw that even my, my godly father, as I was in my teenage years, responsibilities started getting uh, more. Uh, 
heavy on him and he was struggling to juggle his busy schedule and attempt to uh, balance his time between the urgent and the important. Uh, learning to set boundaries, learning to prioritize tasks and responsibilities between work and church and family was challenging for him, as it is probably for all of us. Particularly the immediate time after my mother's unexpected death. I remember life got really hard for dad. Uh, he was always the epitome of strength to me, but I remember after um, what had happened in our family that particular summer, the summer of 76, my, or the spring and summer, my, uh, my mom's dad had died in April of a sudden heart attack. A month later, my dad's dad died uh, uh, of, um, of Alzheimer's, you know, dementia. And then a month and a half later, my mother unexpectedly died. So it was like a, like a, like strike three, you know. So my dad had all these things. He was trying to take care of grandma and, and all these, all these other, the grandmas, I should say, all these things. And I could see it was really weighing heavy on him uh, because uh, there were so many urgent things to do that had to be done. So many urgent things. And that was somehow he had less time for the important things. Um, I remember, you know, especially because he was used to being alone with God from, that's where his strength and his guidance came from. And, and so I think that, you know, oftentimes um, the urgent increases as it, 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 put, it wants to push out the important. And that's the important things are, the, are what, what we do to nurture our souls. And um, it just does, doesn't it? That's what the urgent does. And then the important becomes weak. The urgent is always clamoring for attention and the important things they get weaker, get weaker. Loved ones, we'll never have enough time to do everything. The demands on our time never diminish. I heard Dad say once after he retired, and I've heard other people say this too as after they retired. He said, David, I'm so busy now, I don't know when I had time to go to work. Yeah, I mean, he was. He was after he retired. He was he was going to this person's house, help, helping them. He was going to that 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 ministry, doing that, and he was just all over the place, um, just helping people all the time. He wanted to be used by the Lord. He wanted to be a blessing to people. When Becky and I were first married, um, I remember asking my grandma one day. Uh, she died in 2006 at the age of 96. My dad's trying to beat her. He says he's, he's shooting for 100, is what he always tells me. He'll be 93, I think, next, next couple of weeks, God willing. But um, I remember talking to my grandma once. Uh, I said, Grandma, what was the biggest, what's the biggest difference that you noticed between your younger days when you were a girl and right now? And that would have been probably in the early 80s, you know, when I asked her this question. Um, Without even pausing, she said, oh my goodness, people are so much busier now. That's what she said. People are so much busier now. They, uh, they're running all the time. Every day and night is filled with activities. Parents allow their kids so many activities, they don't even have time to be a family anymore. Um, she talked about slower days when neighbors would come over to, to uh, and sit, well, come over and visit and, and sit on the porch at night and talk to one another. Life simply was slower then. It was slower and easier in ways, quieter, less hectic. In a way, because every generation thinks it doesn't have enough time. It's funny. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. 
Our culture has conditioned us to uh, be loud and to be busy. Yeah, if we, tell you, if we were to take some of the noises that we're so used to today and go back 200 years, people would be terrified. They'd be terrified at the noises that, that we hear. Um, matter of fact, when gunpowder was first discovered and uh, when they, it was first demonstrated and the, the loud boom that it makes, people actually thought it was demonic because it was so loud. It was so loud. They thought there was a, there was a demon uh, on the end of a bullet when they learned that when, when bullets were, you know, when guns were being, uh, uh, when they e- were evolving, you know, they thought there was a demon sitting on the edge, on the end of the muzzle, you know, because the gun was so loud and the devil is always loud. <laughs> we're just uh, conditioned today, though, that that's normal. Uh, loud and busy and fast and active, active, active and less quiet and slow and reflective. Our kids are, (laughs) they're conditioned to think that way too. And uh, have you ever noticed the commercials? Do you even have time to breathe? I'll tell you, they just hit you, boom, 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 then boom, 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 and then boom. I mean, it's so fast. All the information that is coming at us, it's not normal. And, uh, but we're kind of stuck in it, aren't we? We're kind of stuck in this stuff. We, we can't escape it, and this is how we must function these days in these, uh, demanding, this demanding, hectic culture of ours. And, but we need to recognize there's another reality, too, and that this is not actually good for us. To, to just have just the busyness and the fast-pacedness of our culture to always be bombarding us. In Mark chapter 6, you can read that later on. It's an interesting chapter where Jesus sent the 12 disciples out to various Galilean villages that he, um, that he wanted the disciples to go out and heal folks, uh, to perform healings and to set people free from demonic control. And they were to proclaim the kingdom of God and they were also to proclaim that people must repent if they want to meet God, they want to find God. So that was what Jesus sent them out to do, the 12 disciples. We don't know how long they were gone but it just simply, there was a lot going on. There's a lot that had happened while, while they were gone. John the Baptist was beheaded and the other events were taking place. But, um, but when they came back, again, they had, it was a very busy and hectic schedule that they had. Uh, when they came back to the, and gave Jesus a report, Jesus noticed something, Mark tells us there. He noticed how tired and exhausted they were. How tired and exhausted. Um, he knew that's, that, that is a condition that you can't stay in. He knew his disciples needed to get away from that very busy place where they actually were at that time and get some rest and have time to reflect. Matter of fact, the King James actually puts it this way. It's what the King James says. And, in, and he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. He said... For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as even to eat. I heard an evangelist say one time years ago, he said this, he said, Jesus hastened to get the disciples apart before they came apart. You've probably heard that before. Yeah. He wanted to get them apart. Let's go find some place to rest before you actually lose it. <laughs> That uh, he, they didn't have time to eat. That's how busy they, how busy they, they actually were. Interesting too here that as Jesus is trying, if I can just kind of throw in exactly what happened after this, Jesus is trying to get away, 
And uh, it's interesting to look at Jesus' life and how he dealt with crowds and how he sometimes told people, for example, he said, don't tell anybody what I just did. You know, like he would heal people. He would cast out demons and he'd say, don't tell anybody. You know, you ever wonder why he did that? Why he said, don't tell anybody. You think that he should, shouldn't he want to tell people? Well, no, because the more he, they, that just caused crowds to come and he couldn't sometimes get the ministry done he wanted to get done because of all the crowds. He had to deal with the crowds and sometimes he didn't tell people where he was going because he needed, he needed to have some private time. And a lot of times he didn't even have time to pray so he got up really, really, really early in the morning, Luke tells us, so that he could at least spend time with the important before the urgent showed up. So Jesus dealt, he, Jesus was very familiar with this problem of so much time in a day and all these urgent things happening and yet we still got to do something to maintain or to nurture our fellowship with God. Hmm. As he's trying to get the disciples away in this incident here to just to find some rest for these guys, the crowds followed him and the urgent circumstances made rest impossible. And you remember this, what this leads into is the feeding of the 5,000 or what I like to say the feeding of at least the 10,000 because there were some women and children there too. Um, but those needs outweighed the needs of the disciples, at least for now. Those needs outweighed. And, and Jesus decides to feed the crowd. And we know from the other gospel writers that this instant was a crisis point. Listen, listen to me. This is really serious. This was a crisis point for these very tired and exhausted disciples. Jesus says, how are we going to feed them? And you know that they came up with five loaves and two fish. And Jesus caused the, caused the food to expand. And all the crowd was fed and happy. They were happy. They had empty bellies. And now they're happy. And they said, wow, Jesus, he did this. John tells us how that, hey, the group got together, the, the people, not the disciples, but they said, well, they probably were amongst the disciples because they influenced the disciples. They said, Jesus, needs, we need to go make him king. He can help us to overcome the Romans. I mean, any man that can, can multiply food like this, wow, hey, we, he could feed an army. Huh. Jesus heard what was going on. And he quickly, John says, he quickly got his disciples and he rushed them to the boat. These are some tired, weary disciples who, right now, they're mad at me. The disciples were angry with Jesus because they said, why aren't you? Why aren't you going to go ahead and do, you know, we, we need you as the Messiah to help us to overcome the Romans. Why aren't you doing this? And he quickly gets them in the boat and sends them off across the Lake of Galilee. And what does Jesus do? He goes, what? Up in the mountains, goes up in the hills to pray. This was a crisis point for all of them. They said, man, this is, this is, uh, this is really heavy here. And uh, the disciples were angry. They're tired. They're angry. He says, what is he doing? Don't you know this is a great opportunity? People want him to become, they want to recognize him as the Messiah. Mark says that their hearts were hardened. These tired, weary disciples. And now they're rowing against the storm. They're already you know, exhausted. And now they're running against a storm. Jesus looks out and he sees them out on the lake struggling. So he takes the opportunity to do what no person can do. He walks on the water. He's walking on the water out to the middle of the lake where the disciples are. They're rowing against those waves trying to, trying to um, you know, get across the lake. They're mad. 
And they look out, and they're, 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 think, they're not making any headway. They look out, and they see Jesus walking on the water. And you know what he's getting ready to do? The Bible says he's getting ready to pass them. He's walking on by. And they cry out to him. First, they thought he was a ghost or something, but they, they cried out to him. And we know that's the case the time, too, where Peter says, if it's you, Lord, let me come out, and I'll walk on the water, too. And, and Peter did that for a while until he saw the waves, and he started to sink, and Jesus saved him. And then Jesus got in the boat, and they were immediately, in a miraculous way, they were immediately at the shore on the other opposite shore. And you can even read there what happened is that that's when Jesus really started expanding upon his full mission. Not to be a Messiah king to overcome the Romans, but he started talking about the heavy mission God had given him about being the Savior, about dying on the cross, about giving his life up and how that is how you must... You must uh, drink my blood, you know. And uh, he's, really a, uh, he's really throwing a wrench at all these many disciples who said they loved him. I mean, talking about, they're talking hundreds of people. And they all leave him. Everybody leaves him because it was too hard. Of a, we don't want that kind of a savior. We want, we're wanting the Messiah guy who's going to help us overcome the Romans. And, those, and then Jesus, remember what he said to his 12, 12 disciples? Will you leave me too? It was a crisis point in their lives. And they, of course, said, no, only you have the words of eternal life. They had humbled themselves and surrendered to the Lord's will. That's how, but I tell you, it made it really hard. They, you know, Jesus was, you know, he was going to walk on by them because they weren't going to do, he's had to find some more disciples. Probably, I mean, if they weren't going to follow his, his leading, ones, our lives belong to the Lord and we are living sacrifices, but that doesn't mean that we don't need to set up boundaries against the urgent things that try to wipe us out or, or take up our time all the time. And we have to learn to prioritize the important to some extent, um, even in our service to God. I, I've learned there is never enough time in the day to do all the urgent things that pound on our life's door. Uh, the urgent will always hog all your time. Let me tell you, it's true. The urgent will always hog all your time to the point of excluding the important. But you say, PD, um, the urgence must be done. I, I know. I, I live there. I, I know all about that. The urgence must be done. I think maybe a good illustration of that might be uh, um, how we get this pushing back and forth between the urgent and the important is if you've ever ridden on a jet airliner, you've ridden on a jet airliner, um, the, the stewardess or steward, they always give you that, that, that pre-talk that nobody ever listens to. <laughs> I remember one time, it was such a funny thing. They started just making stuff up to see if anyone was listening. You know, it was so funny. Nobody even paid any attention. And uh, it, it, anyway, um, they always tell you like, now in case of the, the cabin decompresses, the oxygen mass will fall down out of the compartment above you. And, you know, they, they give you that speech. And what do they always tell you? The first thing that generally, if you have children with you, the first thing that a mother or father is going to do is like, oh my goodness, the oxygen, oxygen masks are down. Get them quickly, get this on my child. Quickly, hurry, hurry up. They're going to, you know, I mean, it happens quickly. Uh, and oxygen, you have to breathe up there or you pass out. And what do they tell you? No, no, no. Put the oxygen on yourself first. 
I say, mom, dad, you know, if you're, if you're a guardian over somebody, put, put the oxygen on yourself first. And that way then you will have oxygen and strength to be able to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. I think that's a good illustration about why we can't let the urgent push out the important. Because, well... If we're not strong, then we, we can't be where we ought to be and how the Lord can, then we can't be used by the Lord. A way to help others. Yes, Pastor, is this really that big a deal, you know, <laughs> in our lives that you have to preach a message about it? I, I think it is. I, life has a tendency to spin out of control for people, even in Jesus' day, you know, when by comparison to our uh, our. Technical, uh, technical, rapid, internet, fast-paced life today. Jesus' day was slow and easy compared to ours, and yet Jesus' day, the people who lived during that time thought it was actually time was very, very busy, uh, very full. I read once that our, every culture seems to think that every time period in history, people of that period think that they don't have enough time to do the work that needs doing. There was so much to do at Mary Martha's house, uh, at Martha's house once, then when Jesus and his disciples came to visit, that the urgent got the best of Martha. The urgent got the best of Martha, and it pushed her over, over the edge with this angry, improper attitude toward her sister Mary. And it pushed her over the edge also, even unbeknownst to her, with a wrong attitude toward God. She didn't know she had it toward God, but she was just, she was really upset with Mary. That uh, Mary was, you know, slouching there. She was, wasn't helping to do, do the work. So Martha goes to Jesus expecting support. I mean, I think she probably thought, he's going he's gonna to help me out here. You know, you know uh, she's sitting right there, and I, he's going to tell her, get up. <laughs> And go on there and help your help your sister for crying out loud. Stop being so rude and being inconsiderate. And and Jesus kindly told Martha, Martha, Martha. The urgent, basically, he's saying this. The urgent has you by the throat. Mary has given herself to the important right now, and I won't take it away from her. Again, Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to him teach. And Martha was being whipped by the urgent. And the only reward was earthly and temporary. The food was going to disappear after they ate it. But Mary, she was being soothed and fed by the important. And its reward was eternal. The urgent always does that. It always makes you, you know, it always says, take care of this now, 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 you know. But the now, now, now is always temporary. This, it's never eternal. It's the important things that eternal that, that the urgent wants us to neglect, you see. So, but Pastor, the meal had to be prepared. I, I know it did. And Martha's work, though, could have been God-honoring if she just kept things in perspective. What's more important, Mary getting the Word of God or me making sure the food's on time for the, for the disciples? We'll eat one. Nobody's starving to death here. We're going we're gonna to eat. You know, she had lost her perspective. Now, loved ones, Jesus, he, he wasn't endorsing slothfulness. He wasn't endorsing us or any kind of laziness. He, he taught us that. Remember, he's taught us so many things. He's taught, taught us that God uh, actually is always at work 
And we are to work also at the proper times and not lose the opportunities that come from working when it's time to work. You know, it's like kind of like farmers. You know, now, now is the time to harvest, you know. Wouldn't it be silly if these guys, the farmers around here, when it's time to harvest and they're home sweeping out their barn, you know, sweeping out the barn, so having a place to put the combine for the fall or for, for, the, for the winter? That, no, it's the time right now. It could rain tomorrow. Let's get the harvest in. You know, there's times when things must be done. Must be done. And uh, you don't want to, Jesus, you know, we want to work when it's time to work. Remember Jesus said, um, he said, work for the night is coming when no one can work. What was he talking about? He was talking about sometimes we need to work when the opportunity is there because it won't be here again. It won't be. So Jesus isn't wanting us to be lazy. He's not telling Martha that, hey, you know, you ought to be lazy, Martha. Not telling her that at, at all. Um, I want encourage us to work and to work for the glory of God. And uh, although we have earthly employers, we work faithfully and well because Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3 that even though you have an earthly employer, Paul says, you're actually working for the Lord. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah, you, you mean me? At my job? I'm working for the Lord? Yes, yeah, what the Bible says. That you're supposed to, that we're supposed to do the best job we can because it's not just for the employer we're working, that earthly man or earthly woman or earthly or, or organization. We're working for the glory of the Lord. That as a representative of Jesus, I am representing him. So there I'm working for the Lord. I want the world to see, I want the workplace to see that I can be the best worker I can possibly be. And of course the Bible also says, also says if you don't work, you don't eat. Yeah. Proverbs 20, also 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul, he instructed the early church that Christians, of all people, should have a strong work ethic. I got a sermon I'm going to bring on that one of these days. 1 Colossians chapter 10, verse 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Years ago, I had a church secretary. This was years ago. Again, I had a church secretary uh, who disagreed with me about her work. One day we were talking and I, I was trying to encourage her with her work because she always seemed kind of, oh, I don't know, blustery and like she, uh, the urgent was always pushing her and, and uh, consequently, you know, she didn't always have the right attitude about her work. And so I was trying to encourage her that her work was for the Lord. That, that, uh, and she disagreed with me. She said, no way, Pastor. I said, uh, to me, this church office job, it's just a job. And I was said, no, 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 no. Um, she said, yes, this has no bearing on, on my work for the Lord at all. I, I sadly couldn't change your mind on that. And uh, maybe that's the re reason why she left me high and dry one day. By uh, just uh, without any kind of word, out, out of the blue, she left her resignation letter under my door. <laughs> she didn't do her job to please the Lord. And so she didn't think about how the best response would be to quit her job either. Because everything we do is for the Lord. How we work and how we quit. Did I please the Lord? Because He is our boss. So Jesus wasn't saying to, uh, to Mary, or to, I should say to Martha, that it's okay to be lazy. <laughs> work is important in its proper place. But let, let, ones, let, me, let me tell you, the, the important always must outrank the urgent. Even though it seems like the urgent gets the upper hand at times. It may get the upper hand at times, but loved ones, you can't let it keep getting the upper hand. You can't let it keep getting the upper hand. 
It's kind of like me in my, in my responsibilities. When, when our children were young, sometimes my responsibilities caused me to miss things. Important things. Sometimes I was called out of a birthday party or sometimes I couldn't be at a certain function where they were involved because of pastoral duties and responsibilities. I just couldn't. There's just no, it's kind of like a doctor. You have to go. You have to go. You have to do it. You have to be there. The only way I knew how to balance that is this, is that, okay, if, if your family has to suffer for your work, at times, then you, your work sometimes needs to suffer for your family. So there's times when I'd take off in the afternoon and go take my son some, someplace. We'd go do something fun or take my kids someplace. Because they've, they were suffering. I mean, they had to suffer. So now the work, the, the work has to suffer some. The urgent is always going to be pleading to say, no, no, no. You know, you got to give me the attention and why well, the important dwindles my relationship with my family. I didn't want that to dwindle with my children especially. It's hard to keep it balanced. Um, he was saying, don't let the urgent, Jesus was saying, don't let the urgent crowd out the important Martha. That's all I was saying. Don't let the urgent crowd out the important things, Martha. Wow. Well, let, me, let me close here. What, what, was a, what a struggle this, this is for us, isn't it? To uh, keep the two issues in balance. It definitely takes practice. And each of us <laughs> have failed so many times. I have failed so many times. Uh, so don't look at me as being a professional at this. I, I just ask the Lord to help me every day to uh, keep, keep in step with him. Um, it takes practice and each of us are going to experience that trial and error in, in it um, professional race car drivers have a phrase called uh, it's called uh, if I got it up here I think the racer's edge perhaps you've heard about this before the racer's edge that's also the name of a company I believe and of course there's all kinds of things you could see a racer's edge the, you know the right kind of oil you got in the engine you know for the race car the, 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 uh, there's, there, there's a lot of things that contribute to a, a winning driver you know um, oh, I remember one time I heard a guy talking about how that, that the professional race car drivers they learn to stay off of the marbles you ever hear that before stay off of the marbles that um, you may not know this, but on a racetrack, professional racetrack, uh, the tires are grooveless, of course, and they're soft. And so as you're going around curves, some of the rubber comes off. It wears off. And you got all these cars going around. Pretty soon, there's these little rubber balls. Well, they call them marbles. They're being flung to the outer part of the track. And race car drivers know, don't get on the marbles. You can't maneuver your vehicle when you're on the marbles. You know, so you know they little things they know there. You don't, you don't, you don't, uh, uh, don't drive on the marbles, and you know, of course, the other secret to winning races, you know, besides a fast car and a wise pit crew, is the driver must have a sense of the racer's edge. It's something you probably learn, I imagine. Something that you, it's a, it's, it's a sense that a driver learns to have when you you know where the balance is going around the curves and passing other drivers and it's this sense right here if I can get it up there it's the, the sense of 
being on the edge between control and out of control. <laughs> I tell you, it, there's days when I know I'm on that edge. There's other days I know I'm on the marbles. <laughs> you know? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. There's days I know I'm on the marbles. I'm skidding all over the place here, Lord. Other days I think, yeah, I'm on the edge today. I'm in, I, I'm right at the edge, and that's where you function the best, is where you're, you're able to use your time efficiently, and you're, you just feel like you've had, uh, you're in touch, you've, you've prioritized the things that are supposed to be, that are the most important in your life. Yeah. Again, I understand the struggle we face, being in control and out of control with the urgent and the important. So I believe there's, there's no easy answers. But if you take Jesus' words to Mary seriously and you pray that the Lord help you to get your life back in control by prioritizing the important. And what is the important? Well, the important things is just keeping Him center um, where He's not getting pushed to the back burner all the time. You know, that... You know, if you, in a friendship or a marriage, if you're always pushing your relationship to the back burner, you know, it takes, it takes uh, there's things you do, uh, time and things you do that enhance your marriage or enhance a friendship. And if you're always pushing those things to the back burner because other things are taking priority over it, pretty soon, whether you like it or not, dear, it's, things are going to get kind of cold around home, you know. It's kind of like a person who says, I'm too busy to eat. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Well, that's going to catch up with you eventually. Isn't it? Whether you, it doesn't matter what your excuse is. It's going to catch up with you eventually. You're going to pass out or something's going to happen to you. Same way if we don't prioritize that relationship with our Lord. You can get away with it for even many days. But eventually, the devil gets you. Because you're not... You're not staying in the spirit. You're not walking in the, his wisdom. You don't hear the you don't hear the lion coming, and you're and you're and you're off guard, and he and he and he nips you, and um, you find yourself faltering. Well, only thing I have known to do at those times is to repent, ask the Holy Spirit to enable me to begin anew, to begin again. If uh, I know, you know, it's not that you've turned away from the Lord by any means. This is this is just a matter of this is a matter of discipleship. What we're talking about today, it's not turned away from the Lord, but there's times we need to kind of stop and uh, do some evaluations. Amen. Sometimes you, the people who love you the most, if they have a relationship with you, the way they can be honest, they can be good evaluators for you. Yeah. Let's stand together. And thank you so much for your kind attention today. I don't know if this is this something that the Lord might be speaking to you about, like He's spoken to me about many times. But if there's anyone who feels a need to commit afresh to the important the importance of communing with the Lord. Um, this altar is open. These front pews are available here. I'll be glad to pray with you. And I'm, I'm as one who has knelt before and over this issue. I am not by any means perfect in this area. So I am, I just trust the Lord as you do.
Father, as we think about leaving today, I can only imagine that this, this message probably isn't a, an issue for some of us because we, we have it more in, we have it more in, uh, well, we're more with it. But uh, maybe there's others who, Lord, like me, sometimes wrestle with this. And maybe we have some Marthas here today, like, like I've been a Martha a number of times. But the Lord hasn't said Martha, Martha, but Lord, you've said David, David. <laughs> and I've had to apologize, Father, as you well know, I've had to go back and repent and make changes. If there's anyone today, Lord, who needs to just, they need to just say, Lord, I need to, once again, I need to prioritize the important. I pray you'll help them just to step out and, and come and renew their hearts, renew their, their, their spirits afresh in you. We thank you for uh, giving us a good opportunity to, uh, to hear your word. And we pray that this day would be a refreshing one, Lord, where we won't uh, forget what it is you had to try to, what you tried to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, everyone.